The View from the Lane is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined as normal today by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Again, we're not quite in the same room, we're doing this remotely, so please forgive us any hiccups. Um, obviously this is a strange and unsettling and upsetting time for all of us, and we will certainly get onto that in the podcast. Uh, but specifically for Tottenham Hotspur, Charlie, what are the Spurs players doing at the moment? Well, they're training. Um, yeah, reported... Um on Monday uh, for training. I mean, I say as normal, kind of in inverted commas, obviously nothing's normal at the moment, but, you know, as normal as it can be in the circumstances. Um, you know, they're one of the clubs that hasn't been affected uh, in the same way that others have. So, yeah, just tr- just trying to have a kind of, you know, hint of normality at the moment while all the, while everything else goes on around them. One club employee was tested last week and found negative. He, he, he'd fallen ill. Um but yeah, so it's such a changing situation, though. So even you know it, this could well uh, have changed in the next few days. But yeah, obviously it was a surreal weekend for everyone. Um, Charlie and I both expected to be at Tottenham against Manchester United on Sunday, which was called off by the Premier League on Friday morning. Uh, James, what did you do this over the weekend with there being no football? Yeah, it was a, it was a very strange weekend with with absolutely no football at all. Um, I mean, in a way, for me, it was it was kind of almost a relief that the game was called off because it, it felt, you know, from all the stuff we've been reading about this virus, like it would have been kind of not particularly sensible for a gathering of 60,000 people. And you're not just talking about the people in the ground, but you're talking about, you know, in pubs before and on the tube before and after as well, in the concourses and queuing up for the, for the toilets and whatever else. So it seemed an entirely sensible decision. Um, and, you know, having spoken to some people that I consider to be quite sensible people, they were saying that they were going to go to the game if it was on. And to be honest, I was I was quite conflicted for those reasons. Um, so it was nice for the decision to be taken out of my hands, really, which I guess is kind of the, the situation the Premier League were hoping the government were going to uh, put them in. And in the end, they had to make their own decision. But I definitely think it was the right one. Yeah, I was the same. I don't know about you, Jack, but because we were asked about... Uh, you know, w- would we want to go to the game? And and I was thinking I still would, um, but but it was yeah. I I definitely think it was a strange dilemma to have. Um, and 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 I agree. You know, I'm glad that it in a way the decision was taken out of our hands because I I think I would have gone, but I might have felt a little strange doing it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I was I was re- I was very relieved when the news broke on Friday morning that all these games were off. I think that was inevitable after the the news that Mikel Arteta tested positive, which broke on Thursday evening. 
up until that point, it sounded as if the Premier League had wanted this weekend of this weekends of games to go ahead, um, which I'm sure would have been the wrong decision. I know a lot of people who were who felt pleased when that decision was taken because it meant that you know the decision about whether or not to go was taken out of their hands. I mean, I've got no idea whether or not I would have gone on Sunday, but I was. I think it's much better that that these games were not happening rather than happening. Um, like looking forward, like technically. The the Premier League said they hope to resume on Saturday the 4th of April um, when Tottenham play away at Sheffield United on the Saturday evening. I think that's not going to happen. Like I, I think I, I, I gather that, no, it seems to me as if the the 4th of April is basically just a kind of a date that the Premier League have given themselves to, to buy some more time. And what the big thing that's going to happen this week is on Tuesday afternoon, or sorry, on Tuesday, that UEFA's big meeting about football at which they'll decide what's going to happen to the Euros, which I'm sure will be moved back a year. Uh, and then the big question, which is the completion of the league seasons this year, will they, You know, because obviously all the European leagues need to be in sync, will they allow all the European leagues and the cha- this season's Champions League to be pushed back further? And I'm sure once they've done that, then the Premier League will have a little bit more time to decide how to resolve the rest of this season because obviously Spurs like everyone else have got nine games left to play this year and the Premier League will have to be completed at some point but if Spurs, assuming that Spurs are not playing Sheffield United on the 4th of April what do we expect Spurs to do kind of in the medium term like will they continue training or will they give the players a few weeks off to, re- to, to get some rest and relaxation Charlie? I think it completely depends on you know time frames we're given uh, how much they're affected uh, by the virus, how much you know teams around them are. So, at the moment, it is you know a schedule was drawn up on Friday. So once uh, the United game was called off, and we were given this sort of tentative April the fourth timeline. So they're training at the moment as if they're going to be playing that game. You know that that just will change, and then I suppose you know you're then aiming the the deadline gets moved. You're aiming towards another game, and and it almost becomes like a preseason you know, the preseason that Mourinho never had with the players. So it's going to require a kind of dexterity and you know fleetness of foot that is unprecedented, really, in modern football or even since the Second World War. This, you know, if you think how, you know, elite-level sportsmen are so geared towards specific timelines, you know, and everything then is geared towards that day by day, hour by hour, almost minute by minute. So it's going to be so strange that they'll just have to keep recalibrating. And also like now they are gearing towards a game on April 4th, knowing pretty much full well, that's not going to happen. So you're just going to have to see a lot of adaptability, a lot of change. It may be that once we have more of a sense of when they'll resume, players will be given a kind of formal break. Um, But I think, but that's, a little way off right now because at the moment there isn't long enough until the next game which in theory if it were to happen you couldn't really um you know just be having players off though i know some some clubs at least have given weekends off um and others you know longer depending on how many players are affected and that sort of thing yeah that's a really interesting point isn't it like i think in the era of modern professional sport the the calendar has basically always survived like the calendar has been always been sacrosanct apart from like huge, huge disruptions. But it's never had anything like this, like where the calendar has basically been, you know, ripped up, ripped up and will have to be somehow be redrawn under some circumstances a few months down the line. Like we've never seen anything like this. And so, you know, for, for everyone, not just 
coaches and players, but media fans, administrators. Like we are, we are completely. Um, we're kind of through the looking glass, aren't we? Like we don't know what's going to happen. It might well be that the players will come back rested for for games whenever they happen, or it might be that these games don't happen till July, um, and we have kind of four months. And and from a, I mean, it seems ridiculous to talk about it in these terms, but from a kind of player preparation and performance perspective. We just have no idea. Like, right? We we have no idea in what state the players will be when they when they return to playing football. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just so strange that that challenge that they're all going to have. And and I wonder, like, what you guys think. I mean, I personally think the season just should be finished. And even if that means it being finished in a really strange month, I kind of think that to me makes the most sense because what's the rush in starting the new season you know we're so out we're going to be so out of whack anyway it just seems to me like you have to finish I, I don't really see when there's so much money and everything at stake how you can start making kind of approximations um but who knows i mean i, I think aside from anything else you know uh, and without wanting to kind of uh, underplay how serious this thing is in fact quite the opposite i think it's quite it's kind of quite important for people to have the escape of these matches going on in the background, even if they ultimately end up being played behind closed doors at some stage, maybe. I just feel like football is quite an important thing to a lot of people and it provides escape for people in like moments of darkness in their lives. And it, it was entirely right to call up all the games this weekend and next with, that, with absolutely no question. But a bit further down the line, I think, it, it, you know, assuming or hoping that kind of players can avoid it and, you know, people within clubs can kind of be, be kept safe, then you can kind of see that maybe you could play the games behind closed doors further down the line. I mean, I mean I'm not sure. Maybe I'm being a bit naive there, but it kind of, it kind of seems to me like that might be something you can do, even if it is like three or four months further down the line. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I should say as well, like, I'm not suggesting that the season be completed before it's safe to do it, but I just think even if it's you know it's safe to do from july i think well then you do from july until october or whatever it is and you and you work out uh how you then get back to normality even if that takes a few years but i completely agree as well james with that like people need that structure and that escapism uh more than ever right now and i think as and when it's safe to if say it's safe to do behind closed doors games you know which you'd think it would be before doing full games i i think most fans would be at the point where they're like, yeah, we'll take that. Obviously, it's not ideal, but just being able to watch some football and, and have something to anchor our week around is really important. It's very important to us on this podcast that we try to to handle this sensitively going forward because you know this will be a recurring theme for the next few months of the show. And we know that it's very difficult to talk about football outside of the real world context and everything everything that's going on. But given that we have no idea where the next Tottenham game will be, we do also want to talk about football a bit because, that you know, <laughs> since since we last did a podcast, Tottenham have had a game and you know, what we can say with absolute certainty will be their, their last match for some time. Um, that was Spurs' defeat in Leipzig in the Champions League last 16 second leg. Charlie, you were there. How was it? Yeah, it, it does already feel like a different lifetime. Uh, and it's funny, yeah, I mean, just... Uh, you know, sorry to you know. Obviously, we do just have every, everything is related to to coronavirus, and and it was just amazing how quickly it all happened. Because you know, at that point, 
we it was one of the few games that was going on and then it was like oh well you know lots of games would be behind closed doors and then all of a sudden there was nothing and you're thinking wow this is the last game uh i'll be at for some time but yeah i mean looking at the game it was it was very disappointing from a tottenham perspective i mean jack both you and i uh we were mocked and correctly as it turned out by James for you know having a sneaky feeling that maybe uh Spurs w- would make this really close turned out that sneaky feeling was uh was wrong and should have been ignored but you know the first sort of it was 10 right, or 20 it minutes it was right for the first 15 minutes yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah that that was what i was th- that was what i was imagining yeah that first sort of 15 20 minutes they were they were well in the game and uh, pressing and they had a couple of half chances. And I thought, yeah, I've, I've, I think Jack and I have got this spot on. Uh, but then they were 2-0 down. And uh, Le- Leipzig, to be fair, did exactly what uh, we said we thought would be challenging, which was just you have a lead, but you just go out and you're confident. You go for it. They did. And then then once they had the lead, once they'd extended the lead, they just managed the game really well. And it was always going to be hard for Tottenham, I think, unless they'd done something you know, reasonably early because they didn't have anyone to bring on. So it then just drifted away from them. So it was uh, disappointing. And yeah, that will be the last result Spurs have for some time. Yeah, it was quite, a, in that sense, it was like a classic English team against like technically better foreign team in Europe game where the English team goes all out for the first 10 minutes and like creates a few half chances and puts the opposition under pressure. And you're thinking, God, you know, we're in their faces. We've disrupted them. They can't handle us. Uh, and then they go and score from their first attack. Like yeah. it's like uh, the two. You know, the, I mean, the classic examples of that are the 2009 2011 Champions League finals, where mm. United threw the kitchen sink at Barcelona for ten minutes, and then conceded. Certainly, 2009. Yeah, they were well on top, weren't they? And then yeah, um, Barcelona's first attack. But I mean, in terms of how the game developed, do you think it was? Some people have pointed to individual errors from Hugo Lloris on the goals, or maybe Eric Dyer struggling against Timo Werner. Do you think it was individual errors, or do you think the team, or was it just team superiority? Yeah, I mean, there definitely were errors. I mean, Lloris is, uh, you know, struggles for those first two goals would probably be a kind of generous description, but. Uh, it wasn't. I, I don't think it's one of those games where you look at and think, "Oh, if we just hadn't made a couple of those individual errors, we'd have won." Because I think the overall superiority caused those errors in a way. You know, like there there were enough of those chances that eventually, I think they would have uh, been pressured into other mistakes. So, you know, I, I my piece afterwards was kind of building on something James had said that at the moment Spurs look as though they're paying the price for that like self-imposed transfer embargo of the 2018 to 19 season because this is when players from that time would really be you know stepping up and kicking into gear second season you know you think of Ericsson Lamella how much better they were in the second season or Son Jung Min or Sissoko those kind of guys so I think it, it, it did have an end of days feel to it and I think that's part of the reason why amongst you know this other feeling that it's just a natural cycle coming to an end uh, it is that cycle coming to an end but it's also a failure to sort of start rebuilding before it's too late because now you're in a situation where a massive rebuild is needed almost from scratch it feels like yeah it made me think of when i um when i did that interview with paul mitchell formerly of tottenham now of leipzig a few weeks ago before the first leg and he was telling me that he thinks the most important thing for any team is that they continue continue to refresh their squad with two or three players every year even even whether they're first team players or not just to keep everybody on their toes and obviously you know leipzig like any european team have done that successfully over the last few years always adding two or three players every season and I think Spurs big failure to do that is the kind of thing which you know 
you you feel the immediate impact of that kind of two or three years down the line like it's a rolling thing it's not just it's not that it it's not that it hurts you the first season it hurts you the second or third season afterwards um but so that is the end of Tottenham's 2019 to 2020 Champions League campaign uh obviously very very different in so many ways from the Champions League campaign of last season James, do you think it was inevitable that there would be a bit of a Champions League hangover from this year? They wouldn't be able to replicate what they did last season? They were always going to struggle to match last season, given you know they got all the way to the final and, and created some amazing memories and, and some amazing comebacks. Uh, so, so to match that again, I think probably would, would, have been, uh, would have been asking a bit much. As for whether or not it's, it's the last season for a few years, uh, I mean, even ignoring all the stuff going on not in the background, very much in the foreground at the moment. Uh, I kind of got, I've kind of got mixed feelings on that actually. I, I mean, Spurs look a way long, long way off, uh, kind of being an, an elite side at the moment, uh, even just in Premier League terms. But then you, you know, you kind of look at teams like Leicester and how quickly they they built the team. And eighteen months, two years ago, they were, you know, towards the bottom of the Premier League and looking like they're more likely to be relegated than get into the Champions League. And now depending on the way things unfold and decisions that are made over the next few days, they should be in the Champions League next season. Uh, and that's happened quite quickly. And it just makes you think, you know, with the, with the right kind of recruitment and coaching, I think you can you can become a Champions League side or qualify for the Champions League from, you know, the sort of position Spurs are in relatively comfortably. Whether or not Spurs in their current state will actually do either of those two things is another question, but I don't really see that it should be an impossibility. Uh, I I completely agree with that. Like I think it's it's very tempting in all sports to think that things won't change from how they are now. You know, so it's like Spurs look as if they're not in qualified the Champions League, and it's you know you think oh well, that's how it's going to be, but things change so quickly. And I think especially at the moment that top four sort of Champions League qualification is a lot more fluid than it's been in in years gone by. And le- and and I think Leicester are a really good example of that. There's no reason why next season suddenly Spurs are looking very different and you're thinking, yeah, of course, they can they can definitely get top four. I mean, it's crazy to think this season they still could, especially uh, there'll be a... You're talking about a very different team when they've got Kane, Sun and Sissoko back, which they probably will do now for... It. I mean, obviously, there are so many unknowns, but, you know, if the season does start in a month or so, they, they probably will have a, a team that is strong enough to, to make up a few points and finish fourth. Focusing only on football, if we can for a second... The maybe the long term prospects of Spurs aren't quite as bad as we as it's tempting to feel they are when they play that badly week after week. Like things can change, and it does only take two or three recruits. And the Spurs squad isn't isn't terrible. Like it's again, it's tempting to think that it is, but it isn't. Like they've got plenty of good players. Um, the, we get asked a question a lot about the manager of Spurs, so we get this a lot in the mailbag and in comments to pieces. Um, we have to ask Julian Nagelsmann. What have we made of him over the last over these two games against Spurs? And given that Spurs have had an interest in appointing him in the past, I think he would be a candidate that Spurs would like to look at down the line post Mourinho. Is he, do, do, Charlie? Do you see that one working? Do you see him as a potential Spurs manager? I think he'd be a really exciting appointment. Yeah, I mean he has uh, a clear vision um, about how he likes to play. Um, he's young and exciting and expansive in his thinking so I think he'd be a really exciting appointment somewhere down the line and as you say he is someone who they've had an interest in before and I think 
had Pochettino gone a year earlier, then I think Rafa Honingstein, our colleague, reported that earlier this season, and that's something that may have happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's um, the kind of a you know that's actually the kind of appointment I was expecting more after Pochettino. In the in those months leading up to Pochettino going, I was asked a lot in Q and As and mailbags. You know what sort of manager will they go for after Pochettino, and and I wrongly uh, thought that it would be someone in that Nagelsmann mould, more like a project manager um, like Pochettino was. So maybe they'll then, having gone for a different type of manager in Mourinho, they'll revert to that style, which is what you see clubs and countries doing a lot is sort of lurching from two very distinct styles. Yeah, I completely agree. I- I always thought that it would have made sense to replace Pochettino with someone who represented more of a continuation of how, like, his vision of football. And that's one of the things that I think has frustrated some Spurs fans about the Mourinho appointment is the fact that the whole Pochettino blueprint, years, five and a half years of hard work went into teaching the team to play that way. And I know it was falling apart at the end, you know, everybody knows that. But that all, that body of work was kind of chucked out and they've tried to start again something very different, whereas I wonder whether the Pochettino groundwork could have been put to more use with a manager who played a similarly, you know, not exactly the same, but a similarly kind of aggressive pressing game. Um, so we did a mailbag this week in which we got a lot of questions. Uh, so Charlie and I have answered 11 of them in a piece on The Athletic, which you can read. Uh, if you're not an Athletic subscriber, you can get 40% off with promo code SPURSPOD. Uh but we only answered 11 questions and we've got plenty more that we haven't answered. So we're going to get stuck into a few of those now. Uh, the first question is from Justin M. Looking here for a positive, is there a chance that Spurs benefit from this delay by getting some players healthy? Charlie? Yeah, this was something that came up uh, a fair bit. And, and I must admit, it was something that occurred to me as well. Um, yeah, I think it absolutely is. I mean, you know, it, it does feel um, a little crass to be talking about a global pandemic in these terms but you know as you say we, we we need to focus on the football a bit as well and yeah I think there's no denying that you know by the time the season restarts uh if it restarts you'll almost certainly have Kane available uh there should be Son coming back soon as well Sissoko's already back in training so he would be so yeah I think they are one of the teams that uh will benefit more more than most um because you know, suddenly you're think you're talking about three or four out of nine games having a few of your best players available for. That's a massive switch. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, next one, uh, Zachary S. This one's for you, James. In a world where Harry Kane leaves this summer, brackets, please no, please no, close brackets, how would you address the striker position in the summer? That is a very difficult question. Uh, it would be, I think it's more or less impossible to replace Harry Kane with a like for like uh Replacement. I mean, if they could get someone like Raúl Jiménez, that would be incredible because he kind of feels like he's very much in that mould. I mean, potentially looks like he could even be maybe even better. Uh, but I suspect if, if Jiménez leaves Wolves, then he's going to go to like Real Madrid or somewhere now. I mean, he already feels like he's probably at that sort of level of the kind of player they're going to be looking for. So. It, this is almost an impossible question to answer, really, because I just I just don't see that where Spurs are at the moment, they're in a position to replace him with another elite striker. So they're going to kind of have to be being a bit clever with their scouting and maybe trying to sell him for two hundred million, say, and then bring in three players at sixty, seventy million in his place. Um, in the sort of 
Gareth Bale, Elvis and the Beatles mould. What, what do you think that would be sensible? What to do that to, to sell to sell him for a large amount of money and replace him with free players? Yeah, I mean, would you rather do that than not sell him? No, I would rather keep him because I just think yeah. it's going to be impossible. I just think it's very, very unlikely. Not impossible, but very, very unlikely you're going to be able to find another sort of 30 goal a season striker. Mm. Uh, and with all the other stuff he brings as well with the link-up play and the fact that he's captain of the club and he, he has such a strong kind of link to the club and he just feels so much like he is the figurehead. That it, it, I think like it would be quite damaging, particularly now. If they were to lose him. Interesting. I just think I wouldn't sell Kane. Like, if I was Daniel Levy, no amount of money would make me sell Kane. Even, even with the kind of injury concerns and that stuff. I think so. I, I also think that, like, he's not he's not as valuable as he would have been three years ago. Like, three mm. years ago, I think, if you really wanted to rebuild the team, you could get City, United, Real Madrid to pay £200 million for him. I'm not sure that market exists for Kane right now. Because um, like, I just don't think he's as good as he was three years ago. And, I mean, maybe United could... Maybe United. I mean, look, we speculate about this every week. Maybe United would buy him, but I'm not sure they'd buy him for enough money that Spurs could buy three three very good new players. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think he'll stay. Basically, I think it, I, that's that's my kind of coward's answer to the question. Is I think Kane will stay. Next question, Ben. This is a good one from Ben H. Hi, Charlie and Jack. I'm seeing a lot of nostalgia about Pot recently. Do you think he would have done any better than Mourinho is currently doing without Kane, Son, Sissoko, and Eriksson? Charlie? Ooh, tough one. I mean, he... I think his public approach would be different. And this sort of ties into a piece I did uh, last week on Mourinho and how, you know, there has been quite a bit of perceived negativity uh, and the but, but then lots of positivity behind the scenes and how kind of that affects the players. I, I think Pochettino would be issuing, uh, you know, what are known as rallying cries uh, in the media about how they, they can cope. Whether that would lead to better results, uh, I think is hard to say, but it might mean uh, there's kind of uh, less negativity or perceived negativity around the place. Do you know what I mean? It would be like, uh, we're in this tough situation, but we'll we'll come through it kind of thing. Um, But I do think, I I think it is a good question because it is a reminder that, you know, even a manager like Pochettino probably... Uh, would struggle without so many players. Whether as well he would approach it in a different way and try and find solutions slightly differently, uh, I think you would see that. Um, but it's hard to know whether the results necessarily would be all that different. Yeah, I, I'd kind of agree with that. I'd, I find it hard to see that he could have done much better. Whether or not it felt more fun and, it, and, and fans uh, w- weren't quite so downhearted about the whole thing is another thing. You know, maybe Maybe they would have lost more heavily in games like that Liverpool game where, where Mourinho played so defensively, uh, but perhaps maybe would have won matches uh, you know, in other points of the season. But I, I find it hard to see that unless something absolutely drastic had changed and he had managed to you know, convince Levy to spend loads of money in January or whatever, uh, I don't really see that it would have picked up any more than it, than it did or has. Yeah, we shouldn't forget how how bad Spurs were just before they sat Pochettino. Like that, the they were in a complete crisis. And however much we, however much, very easy for us now to be like, oh, this is really bad. They should have kept Pochettino. But I think in reality at the time, it you know Spurs were going nowhere, and maybe they're going nowhere now. But um, it's not quite as simple as I think we sometimes but make I it think out to be. The, the mistake wasn't sacking Pochettino in the moment they sat Pochettino. The mistake was either a not backing Pochettino in the transfer market in those transfer windows as we talked about before, or B, uh, 
uh, appointing Mourinho as the man to replace him. I, I don't think we're in the context of what had happened and what was happening in the, in that moment. Sacking Pochettino in November, I don't think was a massive mistake. I just think it's either what happened before or what happened afterwards. So next one, this one's for you, James. So this is from Jonathan H. What is the best book to read on Spurs' history? Uh... I mean, not not so much the entire history, but the the best book on Spurs is uh, the Glory Game by Hunter Davis. He spent the nineteen seventy one seventy two season embedded with the Spurs team. But you can kind of you can kind of picture it as the the Amazon documentary for the the early nineteen seventies. Uh, so he was, you know, it it sat in on team talks and training sessions, and uh, you know, kind of saw the the rows and the amazing things that happened behind the scenes. And at the end of the season, Spurs won the UEFA Cup as well. Uh, it's just the, the kind of book you just wouldn't get now because the access is so incredible, and it, even this Amazon documentary isn't gonna isn't gonna get anywhere near it. It's absolutely superb. Should add as well, a more recent one um, is uh, a book on the ninety four ninety five season um, where lots of fun stuff happened. You know, it was the Jurgen Klinsmann year uh, by Jerry Francis, and I know when I interviewed him, he talked about it, and it is it's a really fun read on. Uh, what was a mad season. It was the one that started with a piece Jack did earlier in the season on Tottenham playing with five players under Ozzy Ardiles, uh, five strikers essentially under Ozzy Ardiles. Um, and they had some crazy players like Jika Popescu, uh, Klinsman up front, Sheringham, Anderton, Barnby. So yeah, just quite a fun, uh, easy read on a period about 25 years ago. Martin Cloak, who's also, I think, the chairman of the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, is a football historian and has written some fantastic books on the history of Tottenham as well which are totally worth checking out if you're looking uh next question is from sam l which players do you think will be sold in the summer and which players do you think will be able to bring in charlie yeah this is a really hard one i mean on the bringing in so we were talking before weren't we about william uh who you know that feels like a possible one and that was something that was first written about by our colleague uh, liam toomey um i mean i i uh, talked about this in the mailbag and I think you know the players to bring in it will be profile I think either guys like Willian who are a bit older and who either at the end of their contracts or won't be particularly expensive because of their age or guys more in the Bergvine mould uh, you know not massively expensive but lots of potential there I don't think we're going to see you know, huge names coming in because I just don't think the budget will allow for that given the number of players that they probably do need to sign. As for the ones that are sold, it's it's a hard one. I mean, I know a, a lot a lot of you are probably hoping I'll say Serge Aurier, but I don't necessarily think that will happen. I think there are other areas that uh, are kind of a bigger priority. So, you know, it looks like Vertonghen, you know, obviously his contract expires, so there's a... Uh, you know, a big question as to whether he'll stay. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, we, we were talking about this, weren't we, as to who you'd want to go and who Spurs can get a lot of money for. And it, it does feel like if they, if they want to get in a lot of money, they would have to gamble on losing one of their big, big players, you know, like a Kane uh, or an Ali. But I just don't really see that happening. So, I, yeah, I, sorry, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but... I don't know. What do you think, Jack, as to players who might go? Yeah, I don't know really. It, I mean, you could look at Aurier, but I think Aurier, I think the system, that, you know, Spurs have got a system which gets the best out of Aurier. I know he makes yeah. a lot of mistakes, but 
if they sold Aurier, I don't think they would replace him with anyone who's as good going forward. They might replace him with someone who's better defensively. But the the problem is that for all the pro- you know for all the reasons that we know about, Aurier is like one of the team's m- main attacking outlets at the moment. Yeah. And you know if you were to sell Aurier, you would have to buy enough good players in other positions around the pitch to make sure you could replicate all his kind of ball progression and chance creation that he alone seems to give Spurs at the moment. Um, I think as well, sorry, just uh, someone I forgot, a name that some fans are probably hoping I would say there is Ndombele as well, but there's a lot of, um, you know, for someone that came in for a lot of money, there is a lot of will at the club to make a success of that. So again, I I wouldn't think necessarily, obviously the situation may change, that he'll be someone they'll be in a rush to try and get rid of. Yeah, and also like, even if, obviously Mourinho's got his issues with Ndombele, but if the situation this summer is that they, you know, they're looking to sell Ndombele, Daniel Levy will want his money back. Yeah. And he'll want £55 million for him. And, you know, who? maybe they could get PSG to pay that. But I don't think, I, I just can't see Spurs cutting their losses on a player that good. Maybe they loan him for a year, I don't know. Mm. But I, I'd be really, really surprised if they just were happy to lose money on their record signing. Um, so I, I'd be shocked if he wasn't there next year. In terms of incomings, like, Willian is obviously a player Mourinho has liked for a long time. We all know that, you know, in these kind of situations, Mourinho does like, you know, he, he likes a kind of reliable, experienced 30-something who can follow what he, follow his instructions. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there's Willian and God knows who else, Matic, Dzeko, Giroud, Zabaleta, Kadira, Witzel, <laughs> Gadeen, Perisic. Any number, any number of very experienced. Ricardo possible. Carvalho. Ricardo Carvalho, what's he up to? <laughs> what, what, what's Lasana Diara up to? Yeah. yeah more, um, so who knows? But I wouldn't be surprised if it's yeah, like a mix of sort of talented young players who they can get on the cheap and thirty-one-year-olds who who might be out of contract. Um, Blaise Matuidi is out of contract. Blaise Matuidi is out of contract. Yeah. What mm, a I mean, signing! That feels like the kind of uh, the kind of player that he might be interested in signing. Yeah. Whether or not they and would he, get the wages would be a different question anyone who's really good at the 2014 world cup <laughs> you, <laughs> know rodriguez. you know where to call yeah james rodriguez <laughs> I, well, I don't even know where james rodriguez is actually is he playing for real madrid yeah he's, he's back, back at, at real madrid, madrid. Yeah. the, the Bayern munich loan didn't really work out for him he's an amazing player i remember like yeah. in the 2014 world cup doing a I, I wasn't there but just like i was doing features off the tv for the indie doing a piece saying, oh, you know, people going about Neymar and stuff, but James Rodriguez, he's going to be the guy in the next 10 years. And uh, look how that one turned out. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is a good question here from Matthew C. Um, this season has split the fan base and turned certain quarters toxic towards the player's manager and owner. I don't see this going away, rather continuing to bubble away over the summer. Can we expect mass fan demonstrations towards Levy and Enoch next season onwards? How can we create a happy camp again? James? Uh, I mean, that's quite a big question you're expecting me to answer there. Really, <laughs> it is a big question. A few sentences, um, please. <laughs> thanks. Um, I mean, as for mass demonstrations, first of all, like, I'd kind of I'd kind of be surprised just because I don't really think the Spurs fan base is that kind of fan base. And when there have been moments where it's felt like there would be scope for that kind of thing at another club, it hasn't... No, no, for example, when they floated the idea of moving to Stratford like, uh, 10, 12 years ago, whenever that was. You know, clearly that's sort of what you would think of as quite a bad thing for a football club to suggest doing, but no, no one really sort of batted an eyelid at the time. Um, I mean, there were there were things written about it online, but I, I don't, to my memory, I don't think there was any kind of mass uh, demonstration there. Um, 
whether or not that'll happen next season, I'd 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 be surprised. It would probably be dependent on how bad things went, and I and I just don't envision things will be quite that terrible. I, I suspect they'll be better than this season, really. Whatever happens, um, how can we create a happy camp? Uh, I think you just need the club and the team and the and in particular the manager to kind of have a clear vision for what they want the the, the team on the pitch to be doing, and for people to buy into that and everyone to understand that. And that's really been the thing that's been missing from this season. Even earlier in the season under Pochettino, it's just not felt like there's been an identity there on the pitch that that people can kind of get behind. So whatever Mourinho's vision is, you know, tactically or in terms of philosophy, he kind of needs to instill that, I think, over the, over the summer or, or during this enforced break. Uh, and then I think people will kind of start to feel a little bit more confident that he actually knows what he's doing. Because at the moment, I think the, uh, the big problem is that we're looking at the this guy who's getting paid fifteen million pounds a year supposedly. It doesn't really feel like he's doing anything other than picking eleven players on a Saturday afternoon and, and kind of sending them out to, to play a football match. Uh so so I kind of think that will change and then people will probably start to feel slightly differently about it. Whether or not it is the best thing longer term is a different question, but I, I don't see next season being quite so miserable. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think what Mourinho really needs to do is give Give some like give something positive that people can buy into. Like that's what Pochettino always did so well. Is he gave you like a positive? I mean, people people always react stupidly to this, but the word project is like a totally legitimate word. He gave you the sense that he was embarking on a, a mission that was bigger than just beating Burnley on a Saturday or Olympiacos on a Wednesday. Like it was, it was a it was a huge piece of work which he was throwing everything he had into, which had an incredibly ambitious goal. And everything, like, he, he was he was a master at creating that narrative. And with Mourinho, that just doesn't exist. And I think that's what... M- M- Mourinho needs to give the fans and the players a sense that they're part of something bigger. They're part of trying to make, well, you know, trying to make Tottenham the best team in England, trying to get Tottenham to win a trophy, trying to get Tottenham, you know, back into the Champions League, just something like that, that people can say, yeah, like, I... I'm going to I know this is going to be hard and it's going to take a long time but I want to play my part in this process and that that is what there is just absolutely none of at the moment at Spurs. And I think that's been such a shift over the last kind of 5 or 10 years that maybe Mourinho hasn't fully embraced is that you know I think there's less cynicism towards those kind of grand statements uh, and if you look at say someone like Brendan Rodgers who I think was always harshly maligned but for kind of being a bit of a dreamer I think now that's much more appreciated. And and on the flip side, someone like David Moyes, whose kind of pragmatism and realism was applauded, I think is now seen as quite dour and dreary. Like, I think it's fine now for, you know, Jurgen Klopp or Guardiola, you know, these Pochettino, these managers, they, they are making like grand promises and statements and all this stuff. But people buy into that more now. And I think that is really important. And I think that as much as some of the, you know, the tactical shifts or the mentality of players shifts, that is something that's uh, been another change since you were talking about kind of peak Mourinho circa 2010 and earlier compared with now. The last question, Jack, uh, is a bit of a neg to you. Someone's noticed, as I think James and I have as well, that you tend to start the pod by saying, Charlie, you were there. How was it? So the, the follow up to that is, has Jack ever been to a Spurs game? It's a this great is question. Kieran C, I should say. Great question, Kieran C. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so the reason I do that is because we want like a quick setup at the start of the podcast because 
if I didn't come to Charlie early on in the podcast, I would just ramble for the first like five minutes, and to, and then everybody would switch off. So it's basically my way of teeing up Charlie. So we we start the uh, conversation early. And there have that. been games, Jack, where it was just you, and we have debated whether it should be like Jack, you were there. How was it to yourself? But we thought that might be a bit weird and egotistical. Yeah, it would be. It would be a bit weird. That's something we're trying to avoid on on this on this <laughs> podcast. Is me just talking for sort of ten minute chunks because we all know how everyone who's listened to a podcast knows how annoying that is. I have been to some Spurs games this year. I feel like I've been to uh, maybe about half, two thirds. I do a few games of other teams. So I do the England games. Obviously, they're not happening again for a while. Uh, and then you know, I've done a few kind of West Ham, Arsenal, a bit of Championship as well here or there but yeah I do I do still like going to Spurs games and I kind of hope I'll get to go to some again soon although I'm not sure I'm not sure when that will be um guys that's all we've got time for this week thanks very much for listening to everyone um obviously there won't be any football for a while but there will still be plenty of articles on theathletic.com about Spurs and about plenty of other teams so you can read them there uh stay safe and thanks very much for listening bye (laughs) 